Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. The Holy Spirit. To some, he's a forgotten part of the Trinity. To others, he's a powerful force that's easy to abuse. Now, regardless of where you lean, sometimes we got to recalibrate our thinking. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. I, I got to bring you into uh, some marriage tension that Nicole and I have been having for more than a decade. We're going to be fine. But in the spirit of authenticity, I'll tell you, uh, it's about snowblowers. For, for years, uh, Nicole has wanted me to get a snowblower, mainly because every time it snows, I whine, and she doesn't want to hear me whine anymore, so she's been asking me to get a snowblower. I don't want a snowblower because I know it will happen. Spend all of this money for a snowblower. The, you know, the day it snows, I walk out to the garage. I'm like all excited, all excited to fire it up. I spend 20 minutes trying to get the stupid thing to work. It won't work. And then I'll angry shovel 20 minutes behind schedule. But Nicole argues with me, you know, we'll get one that works. Don't be stubborn. We'll get one that works. Guys snowblow all the time. You're just being dumb. I say, no, I, th- this is not how my life goes. God has a sense of humor when it comes to me. Things like snowblowers don't work for me. The whole block will be snowblowing. I'll be kicking my snowblower because it doesn't work. Like me getting a snowblower will just cause me to sin. We're not getting a snowblower. It's been 11 years of, of this argument. Last year, we, we moved in our new place. We walk into the garage, and in the garage sits this nice, brand new, like name brand, big snowblower. Nicole's all excited. I said, well, I'm not using it. It's just going to sit there. I, I know how it'll go. I'm not going to use it. She's like, oh, my gosh, babe, don't be so difficult to deal with. First big snow comes. I'm out there shoveling. Partway through shoveling, I see Nicole walking behind the snowblower, skipping, <laughs> laughing, Rubbing it in my face. She did 75% of the driveway. I did, you know, another 25%. It's like the whole Genesis thing. You know, I'm giving man a helper. It's like, there she is. <laughs> Next time it snows, I grab my shovel. I go up and shovel. Like, I'm not going to go down that easy. It's been 11 years of this. I'm not going to go down that easy. She comes out in her robe and just begs me to use a snowblower. I go, come on, babe. It fired up the first time I pulled it. Come on, come on. Like, fine. So we walk into the garage. I said, I said, watch, it's not going to work for me. So I go, stop. You're just being dramatic. It started the first time for me last week. I pulled a cord. First time, no joke, it snaps. <laughs> Nicole is on the garage floor cry laughing. It's like, you're right. This is your life. God has a sense of humor. I threw the cord, grabbed my trusty shovel. Meanwhile, she calls my friend who's a mechanic, and, and he tells her how to start it without the pull cord, <laughs> a push start. Ten minutes later, she's skipping down the driveway again, snowblowing. This is why I see a therapist. Later, she talked me into using it, and I caved. I'll admit, it's incredible. Like, I get the driveway done in a fraction of the time. Like, I'm going to the neighbor's houses and doing their driveways because I can. It's like, out of the way, peasants, I got a snowblower. I mean, it's awesome. But here's the thing. A lot of Christians, a lot of us, are going throughout life with a shovel. You're trying to do this all on your own. You're shoveling your way through relationships. You're shoveling your way through marriage. You're shoveling your way through child raising. You're shoveling your way through finances. And Jesus is in the garage saying, you don't have to shovel on your own. I gave you someone to help. But you know this about you. You're like me. We can be stubborn. I got this. Plus, I don't know what this, like, this whole Holy Spirit thing looks like. It feels messy. People believe some weird stuff. So I'm just going to keep it in the garage. 
I grew up going to a Bible school like that. My teachers had solid beliefs. I, I love them. I appreciate them because they, they knew the Bible so well. They were very biblical. But I never really heard about the Holy Spirit. Now, they believed in the Holy Spirit, but never touched on him. I never really even heard him mentioned. It's just this very vague, clouded, often abused topic. So let's just leave it in the garage. After all, we can shovel. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to go for it. Acts chapter 2 is where we find ourselves. Acts chapter 2. really encourage you to grab a Bible. One of the things that I loved about pre-COVID was it just felt like we had our Bibles more. Because once COVID hit, we had to like get rid of all the Bibles in the chairs, and then we got rid of the, the, the notes, the physical notes to, to write down. And then I just felt like most of you were just kind of staring at me, and we weren't like doing this together. So I just really encourage you to grab a Bible, whether it's one of the Bibles in the chairs or phone, tablet, we got the bridge app, and then notes. We get the notes back in the, uh, in the bulletin, which I'm super excited for. So I encourage you to, to grab those. Someone once said that to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit makes theological truths drier than a James Bond martini. I love that. So we're not going to do that. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help make this text come to life, shall we? God, we, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you, you wrote this to us. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is alive, well, and active. And God, I pray that you challenge us today, that you open our hearts, that you engage our minds, and that we leave this place, leave this room, different than the way we came in because of your Holy Spirit's conviction. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on Acts chapter 2, we find Jesus' followers doing what we're doing right now, meeting together. It's Jerusalem. There's a certain anticipation that hangs in the air. It's a, it's a waiting, if you will. See, days earlier, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives with his followers, and he ascended, promising that he was going to send someone else. And since Jesus has ascended, the minutes have felt like hours, the hours have felt like days, the days have felt like weeks. And so there they wait in Jerusalem. They're gathered in a public shelter for travelers. The torches provide a dim, flickering light, illuminating their confused faces. Tick, tock, tick. I mean, what are they waiting for? Who are they waiting for? How long is this wait? Did we miss something? Tick, tock, tick. Days of waiting go by. A week goes by. Meanwhile, outside, Jerusalem prepares for a festival. The streets begin to come to life, and it's the third largest Jewish festival that's taking place. Travelers from all over ascend to the mountain city. It's the celebration of first fruits. They call this Pentecost, the celebration of the first fruits. It's the celebration of when uh, God gave Moses the law. It's this beautiful celebration in the city. And as the city gathers to celebrate Moses giving the law, God is about to give them someone even greater. As Jerusalem fills with people, this room is about to be filled with God. There is so much symbolism in this text. I love it. The church is about to be unleashed. Acts 2.1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost, penta, penta, penta meaning 50. It's been 50 days since Passover, 50 days since Jesus' death. After Jesus rose, he was with his followers for 40 days teaching them. Now, I've never been great at math, but a couple of days for Jesus to rise, plus 40 days of Jesus' teaching, Jesus ascends. It's been about a week, a little over a week, since Jesus has ascended. 
And as the city prepares for the crowds, the, the small group of the small group of people that are that are sending to the mountain, this room prepares for they don't know. Tick, tuck, tick. They're gathered in, in one place. I want to talk about this one place for a second because I think this does matter. I believe this place is Solomon's portico or what we call Solomon's porch. It's a covered area just east of the temple. This is a public covered shelter where travelers could stay. It was right next to the, the temple. So if you were a pilgrim making your way to go visit the temple, you could stay in this covered shelter overnight to allow you to go to the temple the next day. I believe they were here because after Jesus left, Scripture says that his followers were meeting in the temple daily. Most of his followers were from Galilee. They didn't have a place to stay in the city, and so it makes sense that they would have stayed on this porch just outside the temple. This is also an obvious place to stay because it's a public place. What's about to happen is going to be very, very public. It's going to draw a crowd. If they were all in some little room in a pocket of the, the city, it wouldn't really draw a crowd. Not many people are walking by. This is a very public place. The third reason I believe they're gathered here is the Pool of Siloam is not far from Solomon's porch. Soon these followers will be baptizing 3,000 people. They need a big pool to do that in, a big public pool. Solomon, or Siloam, the Pool of Siloam is right near Solomon's porch. So they're just east of the temple. A huge crowd is about to form. None of this has happened yet. They're just waiting. And something to point out here, and this is worth mentioning, is that followers were waiting for the Holy Spirit, not manufacturing anything. I mean, look at the text. They weren't even searching. They were waiting. And here's why this is worth mentioning. We live in a day and age where there can be what I would call a lot of Holy Spirit abuse among some circles. It's trying to manufacture this event. We read this event, we think, oh man, this is awesome. We try to manufacture it. And maybe you've seen this. You know, you turn on the TV and you get those like fancy televangelists doing weird things to either coax people into feeling the Holy Spirit or manufacturing an experience. You know, people are falling over, slang in the spirit. Or you have like the, the, the spirit shivers, they call, where, where people shake violently. Or holy rolling, where they like roll in the aisle. Holy laughter, where they all begin laughing. None of that is biblical. All of that is very weird. And they say, well, that's what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. No, no, that's, that's a gross misrepresentation. And my wife she became a believer in high school in her church, which I'm very thankful for her church. I mean, they introduced her to Jesus Christ. Uh, but they encouraged her when she got into college to go to a school in Texas, that, a school that leaned more toward like chasing the Holy Spirit and manufacturing experiences. One of her biggest turnoffs was uh, when she was praying in class. They were teaching her how to speak in tongues. It's a very weird concept. How to, like teaching her, that's not even biblical. You don't teach how to speak in tongues. It's a miracle in Scripture. It's not even Scripture. But either way, her professor had her raise her hands for this very long time, you know, and they're in class. And after a while, he goes, can you feel it? He's like, feel what? It's like the tingling like in, in, in my fingers. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. No, that's blood leaving your fingers from having your hands raised for so long. <laughs> also, you don't conjure up the Holy Spirit. That's terrible theology. But a lot of people get really sucked into this because it's exciting, it's mysterious, it's sexy. But it's shallow, and it turns people off. It did for my wife. She saw professors grab people's hearing aids and, and heal them, you know, throw the hearing aids away. He's healed. And everybody cheering, yeah, he's healed. Only for the next day for the kid to show up in class with the hearing aid back in his ear. 
That's not what's happening in this text. This is not a circus. This is believers doing what believers should do, waiting on the Spirit. Something that we say on a staff level a lot, and this is how our elders in our church operate, which I'm very thankful for, is that we hoist our sails and let the Spirit lead in a certain direction. We hoist our sails and we wait. We don't manufacture, we don't force, we don't chase, because that's not biblical. Instead, we hoist our sails over here with the ministry, or we hoist our sails over there, and we wait. And if there's energy and momentum, man, we ride that wave. But our job isn't to, like, manufacture or coax the wind. No, we just hoist our sails, and we wait. And sometimes the wind is subtle. That's okay. Sometimes it's a powerful wind, and that's awesome, and that's fun. But either way, it doesn't, like, dampen our passion because we don't live by the experience why it's important to point out here the followers are waiting in this room they're they're praying they're worshiping they're not like hey let's all like try healing or giving healing lessons or not rolling on the floor or any of that they're not teaching tongues they're simply faithfully waiting they're hoisting their sails verse 2 and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting Ever been in a sudden storm? I was camping in Mississippi in uh, last February. We found this is cool. We found this like podunk wooden uh, shack, and this old man in flannel was selling crawfish. Couldn't understand a word he was saying. Can't get more Mississippi than that. It was just awesome. So we're like, we're stopping and camping here. So we bought like a few pounds of crawfish, and, and that night we were sitting by the fire, just like cracking the crawfish open, eating by the fire. Calm evening. When all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, a storm just like smacked us. It was like a microburst. The tent was flapping away. The crawfish blew into the woods. The, the firewood was like rolling. We were feet apart, and we, were, we had to yell to each other to hear each other. It was just wild. This had to be way more incredible. There they are waiting. Tick, tock, tick. A distant roar suddenly sweeps in. What does it even look like? Do the torches on the columns go out? Do people's blankets fly away? Does their luggage begin to roll down the steps? Do the men try to block the wind with tarps? I mean, it doesn't matter. It would be no use. Whatever's coming in is coming in. He will not be stopped. Onlookers, again, I think in the Temple Plaza, begin to look over what's happening on Solomon's porch. Verse 3, more is about to happen. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So licks of fire appear over them. Why? You ever wonder that? Why the the fire? Why is fire appearing over them? Why, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, do we talk about fire a lot? Fire and the Holy Spirit. I love the reason why. Outside the room in Jerusalem, they're celebrating Pentecost, the time when Moses received the law, and the fire of God rested on the mountain. If you're here with us in this Exodus series, we looked closer at that. Mount Sinai is covered by the fire of God. Uh, Moses writes that the, that the mountain burnt like a kiln. God is in the fire consuming the mountain. That is what everybody in Jerusalem is celebrating outside. Fire of God on the mountain. You remember that? Fire isn't on the mountain anymore. Fire's on the people. Fire's in the people. God isn't on the mountain. God is in these people. This is why John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming, Jesus Christ, who will baptize you with fire. Jesus will baptize you with God. See, there's this progression in Scripture. Ever since the fall, God has been moving closer to us. 
once he was uh, on the fire on the mountain, then he dwelled in the tabernacle, then in the temple. Then he came in the flesh to live with us, and we killed him. Now he's in us. That's what's playing out here. The people outside, they're celebrating the fire on the mountain, but over here, the fire's in the people. This fire symbolism is incredible. Scripture is beautiful, isn't it? Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Miraculously speaking other languages. When we read Scripture like this, we have to remember that when God does something, there is always, always a point to it. Outside that room, people from all over the known world are making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festival. Many different tongues, many different languages. Verse 5, you see in your Bibles, verse 5 says that every nation is in the city. This is a prime time to get the gospel into those languages. This is what God is doing. It's not wild chaos. It's not this like attention show or this emotional experience. It's very organized for a very specific purpose. Verse 6 says that this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? These people here gathered these are like backwoods northern Israel folk. Northern Israel folk had a reputation of being more uneducated. There's no big cities up there. They're all farmers and fishermen. They say y'all a lot. These guys should be in a Mississippi shack wearing flannel selling crawfish. How are these people speaking all these different languages? And it's not gibberish. Look at verse 8. It says, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Everyone is verifying the language. This is an obvious miracle. The Egyptians are going, he's speaking our language. And the Greeks are going, he's speaking our language, he's speaking Greek. And so on and so on. They're not speaking some unknown language. See, the miracle is obvious and verifiable. This miracle is obvious and verifiable. It's this truth, and this is very important to us. It's this truth that gives us a framework. It's this that keeps us from manufacturing or romanticizing and making the Holy Spirit into a circus show. The Holy Spirit's miracles, along with Jesus, obvious and verifiable. That's our framework. It's like the Benny Hens on TV. They might put on a good show. People convulsing on the floor. It's not obvious and verifiable. There's not even a point to that. Even the healings investigations have shown us just, this is the opposite is true. Like if some of these guys have the power to just heal people on demand, go to the children's hospital then. That's where you should be going. That's obvious and verifiable. See, this is our biblical framework that keeps us from getting weird. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything outside of that. There's been times, happens a lot, right? I just think, like, that might have been the Holy Spirit doing that. That was really cool. Like, no joke, um, this spring I was in a meeting, and uh, the meeting was about, we had to find a, uh, a worship leader. And it was thrown out that, that we could pay someone to, to help us find, find the right person and so I pushed back in the meeting. I said, you know, let's, let's just like sit in this. Let's pray about it. Maybe meet, like, talk about that idea later on. But I just, let's pray about this. Leave the meeting. Minutes after the meeting, I get a call from a buddy saying, hey, I got a, I got a, a guy named uh, Hayden. He's a, he's a worship guy. He's looking. You got anything? It's like, no way. He's a perfect fit for our, our church community. I think the Holy Spirit was part of orchestrating that. But I'm not going to come up here and make this big claim and, and run with it. Hey, everyone, the Holy Spirit brought us Hayden. I'm not going to say that. First off, I don't know for sure. Second off, that's weird. Third, what if it ends up that Hayden sucks? <laughs> he doesn't. 
I love him. But if he did later on, and I said, hey, the Holy Spirit brought us Hayden. Okay, well, now what do we do with that? Now I just attach God's name to something. There's something we have to remember. The Holy Spirit isn't like art. My oldest daughter, she, uh, she, loves, she loves art. She loves making art. She loves looking at art. She likes going to art museums, which I, I'm great with. I love creativity. I encourage creativity. I don't get art museums. Like looking at exhibits, I don't know what the heck this is. One exhibit we went to, no joke, had three white walls, rocks in one corner. That was it. That's art. The name of the exhibit was Rocks in One Corner. Rocks not in one corner. <laughs> we were looking at it, it was like, but that's the thing with art. Like if someone says, well, that's my expression, okay, well, then that's art. Like I can't sit there and say, well, that's not art. It's their expression, so by definition, it's art. People do that with the Holy Spirit. As long as we say, well, you know, well, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, the Holy Spirit did this in me. It's like, okay, well, then you played the Holy Spirit card, so who am I to say it's not the Spirit? That's actually abuse. I'm going to get my way by attaching God's name to it. That's breaking the third commandment, taking God's name in vain. That's very, very, very dangerous. The Spirit is not expressions of art. No, there is a biblical framework in Scripture that we follow. There is order, and that is not putting God in a box. God can do what he wants when he wants. The Holy Spirit is very active. The wind is still blowing. He is alive. He is real. He is our helper. He wants to be part of your home. He wants to fill your career. He wants to better your marriage. He wants to unite your relationships. Nothing is too big for the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a framework. So let's talk about him more, get to know him better. Number one in your notes, number one is the Holy Spirit is a person to follow, not a power to harness. The Holy Spirit is a person to follow, not some power to harness. And all too often, we reduce the Holy Spirit down to an it. And, and I'll listen to guys who I so respect, guys that I look up to who preach, and, and they kind of like slip up. I know they know the Holy Spirit is a person, but they'll say it. Oh, it. We often unintentionally reduce the Holy Spirit to some kind of impersonal power, some ominous power. The wildness of God that we're supposed to like crack the code and tap into. Like a special power. If we could just learn to harness it, we'll be better. No, that's Star Wars. Use the force. And the Holy Spirit is a person that we follow. I mean, look what Jesus said. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. No, I will send it to you. I will send him to you. You might think, well, Junior, does this really matter? Yeah, it does. Because when we view the Holy Spirit as an it, it changes our whole perception of who he is. He becomes this thing. And when you're a thing, you're not a person. You're certainly not God. So I'm not going to follow him when it's hard. I'm going to ignore its conviction. I'm going to ignore its nudging. I'm just going to whip out the power when I need some sort of spiritual fix. You know, the Holy Spirit is a person to follow, not some power to harness. He's an incredible person to have in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your career. You remember, it's Jesus who said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Think about that. If we had the option of having Jesus in the flesh in the room with us, or, or the Holy Spirit in us, a lot of us, come on, a lot of us would be like, I want to see Jesus. I want to ask him questions. I want to hear him teach. And Jesus would say, no, 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 it's to your advantage that I'm not here. You have the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty trippy thought. 
A lot of times when I think about the, the next life, part of me can't wait to hang out with Moses. It's like, Moses, what was it like to have God speak to you from the bush? Moses, what was it like to have God split the Red Sea before you? Or David, what was it like to have God take down Goliath through you? And I think they might respond, it was awesome. But what was it like to have God always in you? We don't have that. That's even better. Some of you are trying to shovel your way through your marriage. Oh, you're trying hard, but all on your own. It's not working. Shoveling your way through your career, shoveling your way through parenting, shoveling your way through your relationships, you're killing yourself. Meanwhile, Jesus is looking at you saying, this would be a heck of a lot easier for you and much more powerful if you would lean into the person that I sent. Why are you keeping him in the garage? You're still looking up at heaven like fire's on the mountain. No, fire's in you. Follow his lead. Learn his nudging. Stop trying to do this all on your own. The Holy Spirit wants to lead an area of your life more. To convict you. To lead you. And some of us have got to drop the shovel. Number two, the Holy Spirit fills. The Holy Spirit fills. A lot of Christians, when we see this, we immediately think, oh, it fills us with power. Which is partly true. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. But how? What does that look like? Because he doesn't just like fill you with some sort of like force-like power. What does the Holy Spirit fill us with? Fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills you with power through love, power through goodness, power through generosity, power through joy, power through patience, power through faithfulness. Our power is through the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading you toward these, convicting you of these, and equipping you with these. One of, the, one of the main questions we get as a church, we get this all the time, is uh, I always get like email form, you know, is, is the bridge a spirit-filled church? And I know what they mean. Do, do, we, uh, do we speak in tongues? Do we tell prophecies? Do we heal people? I'll just let you know, we're not aiming to be a spirit-filled church by that definition. We're aiming to be a spirit-filled church by the biblical definition, by this definition. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your marriage with. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your family with. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to fill your business with, with your friendships with. There is power in this. The Holy Spirit fills. Now, you're seeing your notes. There are two warnings when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're serious warnings, and so we've got to look at this. We can't just pass over these. Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So grieve is the first warning that Scripture gives us. What does grieve mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. <laughs> grieve means to grieve. As we've covered, the Holy Spirit is a person. He feels emotions. He can be grieved. And he is grieved when he's left out. When you ignore his nudging, when you ignore his conviction, when you ignore his guiding, he is grieved. And so scripture says, do not ignore him. He is grieved by that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The second warning comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, the original word for quench here is the Greek word sebony, which means to hold back or to stop. To quench the Holy Spirit would be to not allow the Holy Spirit to work through you into other people's lives. Quenching the Holy Spirit looks like being a spiritual glutton. So I go to church, got my Bible study, learning, 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 never really doing anything with it, though. I'm not serving. I'm not getting out of my comfort zone and being Jesus to others. Just got my Bible, my community. I'm good. That's quenching. A good way to look at grieving and quenching is by thinking of a, of a body of water. 
So here's an outline of the, the Sea of Galilee, my favorite place in the world. Got it tattooed on my arm, actually. Um, Nicole does not like the tattoo. I should have asked her before I got it. The Sea of Galilee, though, has the, the northern Jordan flowing into it and the southern Jordan um, flowing out of it. So it has water coming in, water going out. Any good, healthy body of water has an inlet, like a river or a spring, and then an outlet. So there's, there's filtering taking place. This is how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. He's flowing in, filling you with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you then to others so that your love is impacting others. Your joy is contagious. Your generosity is making a difference. The Spirit is filling you and then flowing through you. Grieving the Holy Spirit would be damming up the inlet, stopping the filling. I'm going to do this all on my own. I can shovel. I can shovel my way through my life. After a while, you dry up. You burn out. You're not filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gently, and even like really even all that concerned about it. That's grieving, damming up the inlet. The lake dries up. Quenching would be damming up the outlet. Oh, you're in Bible study, learning, getting all this head knowledge. I know the Greek word for love. I studied the systematic theology for patience. You know, got my Christian friends, got my clique but it's not making any sort of difference in those around you. You're not doing anything with it. You're just holding it all in. Uh, the Dead Sea is, is like this. Here's a picture of the Dead Sea. The, the southern Jordan empties into the Dead Sea. It has an inlet, but it doesn't have an outlet, so it's not feeding anything. The minerals are just pouring in, and then water evaporates, leaving uninhabitable, high-salinity waters. It's just dead. A lot of believers are the Dead Sea. A lot of churches are the Dead Sea. Bible study galore. Minerals from the word pouring in. Minerals from the spirit pouring in. But the community around them is just like no better off. It's dead. This is why the Holy Spirit wants to fill you, to lead you, to convict you, fill you, but then flow through you to impact other people's lives, to flow into the community around you to make a difference. The Holy Spirit fills to flow through. Number three, be mindful of the Holy Spirit's leading. Be mindful of the Holy Spirit's leading. So I just got to say, I, I have a, a lot of charismatic friends, a lot of, uh, some charismatic pastors that I love hanging out with, and, and they would tease me about this. They'd say, Junior, this is it. Just be mindful. And I would fire back and say, this is not at all a neutered approach to the Holy Spirit. In reality, this is a new way of living life for most Christians. There is a lot of power in this posture. A constant mindfulness of the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's leading, and the Spirit's equipping. This is something I've been challenging myself with. Because I'm, I'm a shoveler, right? As long as I'm trying to follow Jesus, as long as I'm obeying God's word, as long as I'm doing what God wants and following Jesus, I got this. And God's been teaching me why. Fire left the mountain. Fire's in you. And so lately, my, my morning prayer, I have my devotions in the front room, and my morning prayer, I would try to always include, may your spirit fill me today. May your spirit convict me today. May I be sensitive, because I can be an idiot, so may I be sensitive to his leading. Teach me mindfulness. Simple, short prayers before a meeting. Please fill me. Please fill me, spirit. If we're walking into the house after work, spirit, please guide me with the family. It's just this constant awareness. The spirit is with me. The spirit wants to fill. The spirit wants to convict. The spirit wants to guide I can't do this on my own. My marriage on my own would be average at best. Me raising kids, look at me. <laughs> Risky. 
making financial decisions, career decisions. I'm going to botch all that. I'm just going to do that. I need the Spirit. I need to be sensitive to his leading. I need to give him space to convict and guide, and I need to be mindful of his presence. hundred years ago, Samuel Chadwick wrote, Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. When I first read this, it made me uncomfortable, actually. But then it, after sitting in a while, I was like, right, okay, I get it. Holy Spirit doesn't come. Jesus broke his promise. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I send you a helper. Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. How many of us are living like this without the Holy Spirit? You're trying hard, but it's just futile. You're not getting far in your efforts. You're shoveling your way through an average marriage. You're shoveling your way through average relationships. You're shoveling your way through business. You're shoveling, 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 shoveling. And Jesus is going, man, I said fire. God isn't just up on the mountain. I brought God to you. He's in you. What are you doing? All of this on your own. Like, you got this. You don't got this. God wants to invade you. Every aspect of your life. Not just for some emotional high. He wants to light a fire in your belly for that which matters. He wants to fill you. Power through divine love. Power through divine gentleness. Power through divine generosity. That's what this world needs. The truth is, you can't afford not to. We want to sit here and whine about just how awful this culture is. Sure, yeah, it's getting worse. You need the spirit, though. You're not going to shovel your way through this world. You're not going to shovel your way through the chaos and the confusion all around you. You need the spirit constantly. It was Zechariah who wrote, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus, John said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming, Jesus, who will baptize you with fire. And that's the thing about fires. Fire sets other things on fire. Believers filled with the spirit set fire to other believers. And what this church needs, what our community needs, what our world needs is a group of believers to just go for it like never before. Fire left the mountain. Fire's in you. Be filled. Follow hard. Drop the shovel. Live with conviction. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe he makes a difference. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.